What's up, everyone, and welcome to Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and this is the podcast where we'll talk about all things fitness, wellness, rehab, and more importantly, the constant pursuit of knowing better in order to do better for the people that we serve. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and today I'm very excited to be joined by my coaches, Paul Milano and Ryan Kalkowski of Resilient Training Lab. How's it going, guys? Awesome. Thanks for having us. Good, man. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you guys on today. Um, obviously, I'm familiar with you guys just because you guys are two of my coaches, but um, for the listeners that may not be familiar with the two of you, um, I was hoping you guys could just start with a little background information on, on yourselves just to get everyone up to speed with who you guys are. So uh, my name is Paul Milano, and I'm the owner of Resilient Training Lab. Um, I went to school at UConn and got a degree in kinesiology with a concentration in strength and conditioning and a minor in nutrition and uh, kind of started coaching right out of school. Um, I've been lifting for uh, 15 years now since I was like 14 and compete in powerlifting. Um, my best total was 1795, just five, five pounds away. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've squatted what 650, benched 435 and deadlifted 735. Um, so pretty competitive there. And I've been coaching now for, you know, since 2011. So to that like nine years <clears throat> so I've been coaching for about nine years now and mostly you know I started in a high school moved on to kind of a semi-private setting and then opened up resilient training lab yeah so I'm Ryan Kalkowski um, I'm also a part of resilient training lab I'm one of the coaches there and just like Paul I went to UConn I had a degree or have a degree in kinesiology concentration and strength and conditioning um, and got to do a lot of cool stuff in their human performance lab while I was there. So a lot of different studies and supplementation and uh, performance and even some cool ones on like jet lag. And after graduating, I started working in the field, coaching uh, high school athletes at a, just a local high school I've also spent some time doing summer strength and conditioning camps uh, and then in the private sector for a bigger chain gym doing um, just more gen pop personal training. And then from there, found myself at Revolution Fitness Clubs in North Haven and partnered up with Paul. Even though we both went to UConn, we uh, never crossed paths while we were there. Uh, and then in just my own training, uh, I got started about the same time in my life that Paul had mentioned. So I've been training for about 15 years and then I've sort of evolved from, I guess the, what I would consider to be more of the standard start for a, a high school boy being a lot more interested in bodybuilding and getting bigger and building muscle and then moving more into the performance side of things, whether that be uh, improving a powerlifting total or, uh, working with a, a specific athletic population. Yeah. So, you know, the two of you have been lifting for, for quite a while and, and coaching for quite a while. And, you know, some of the people, obviously, you know, you both went to UConn, but, you know, I didn't just 
um, decide to join your company because you went to UConn. Although a lot of people would probably think that that's basically my minimum <laughs> requirement. Um, I mean, it's but, part of it. Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt. Um, so for me, you know, I had started uh, working out at Revolution Fitness Club, and this was before Ryan, you, and Paul actually teamed up together. But I know that uh, when Paul had just started uh, running his business out of there, you know, I got to um, watch him coach uh, a few of you know the early morning uh, members going through you know some lifting, and I was just kind of listening in on some of the things that he was saying, and I did a little bit of. Uh, my own research, you know, into Paul and I had listened to a podcast that he was on. Um, and, you know, a lot of the things that he was saying and his philosophies on training really aligned with a lot of the things that I had started kind of molding my own, you know, training and rehab philosophies on. Um, but then apart from that, you know, Ryan, we had also met um, at a uh, Teddy Wilsey seminar in New York, uh, strength coach, therapy. Um, earlier we, you know, unofficially we were both there. Um, but you know, we had spoken after that and, you know, talked about how you were asking me if I had a card, um, because, you know, you figured that we, we both kind of had similar training philosophies since we were both at that seminar. Um, so when you two teamed up, you know, it was definitely, you know, something that I knew I wanted to be a part of. And I think I want you guys to speak about next is what you guys think, you know, sets you apart from maybe any other coaching program or other, you know, training, online training program that you might find um, either online or, you know, even in, you know, the state, um, because I think that, you know, I can speak about it a little bit after you guys get going too. But for me, I think what you guys provide to your members and deliver is something that unfortunately isn't commonplace in that, uh, in the training field. Yeah, so um, we kind of found Resilient Training Lab um, under this idea that a lot of what was going on in the fitness world wasn't, you know, kind of up to par or serving the clients the best it could. It could, and it was creating these, you know, barriers to fitness. And we see that because you know only about eighteen percent of Americans meet the exercise guidelines that are set forth, and we were kind of looking at, you know, why this was, and we saw there was a lot of um, preying on people's insecurities and, and kind of preying on people's fears in the fitness world. And we wanted to try and come at it from a different angle and really focus on the client in front of us and focus on all of the amazing things they're capable of and putting them in situations that created self-confidence and created wins and showed them all the positive things that, you know, working out can bring to your life that are just far past, you know, the physical benefits that everyone talks about. And we really try to, you know, use the words like and the communication that we have with our clients as an opportunity to build relationships and and get to know them and start to empower them and show them all the amazing things they're capable of and then be able to use that information in our programming. So besides that, we are a firm believer in everyone should be on an individualized program that's created for them and their goals. And everyone comes from a different training background, has different training history, has different things that they like, have different goals. And 
their program should reflect that. And as you get to know that client, you should be able to kind of build that program to, you know, help kind of supplement the empowering that you're doing with your words. And in order to do that, we need to be, you know, on top of the research because this is a ever changing field. And, you know, there's constantly new research coming out. And in order to best serve our clients, we have to be on top of that research and kind of continually keeping up with everything so that we can be giving our clients the most effective workouts possible. Yeah, and I think something else that's important too, right? Paul touched on how the entire process of working with a coach at Resilient Training Lab is centered on what you are capable of doing, uh, making sure that you're supported in the ways that you need so that you reach your goals. I think it's also important to highlight from a business side of things what we do because personal training isn't always the most accessible. Uh, it's really like a, it's a bonus, right, for a lot of people. And so uh, we need to be accessible to a lot of people in order to reduce the barriers, like Paul was saying, because so many places you go and you want to work with a trainer and you get 45 minutes or you get an hour, or you get two or three classes a week. And in order to make sure that everybody that works with us gets everything that they need taken care of or has the opportunity to have the amount of help that they need, we're offering them access to either myself or Paul any day of the week. There, We have one price point for somebody who trains with us. And we don't hide extra workouts or more time with the coaches behind paying more. And so structuring a business in that way has allowed us to give each person that trains with us as much as we possibly can so that they don't feel that they could just reach their goal if they, if they bumped up to the next package or the next tier of personal training. And we find that that is a really good way both to create trust with the client off the bat where they don't feel like we're just coming after their uh, checkbook and also to help us create stronger relationships faster. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, the goal is to get people working out as much as possible. And, you know, when you have a program that's set up by classes or by sessions like that, you, you kind of limit the amount of working out a person can do, you know, if they want to work out five times a week, but they can only afford to twice, then, then they're really kind of um, hamstringed and you're kind of holding them back from working out more. And in the long run, we want, want them working out more. So we try to set it up in a way that allowed people to grow, you know, into their, you know, into as much working out as they want, as they, you know, fell in love with the process. Cause we want, want to try to make them do that. Yeah, I think that's definitely important. And and maybe what you guys can can speak to next is uh, maybe what kind of training programs that you um, provide. So I know for me, you know, I may follow more of a kind of powerlifting bias program. Um, now, can is that based on just when you sit down with that individual and, you know, what they describe their goals are? Or how do you go about kind of creating that training program for the person in front of you? So... We start everybody with uh, initial consultation kind of assessment process where we sit down and most of it's really uh, some just a dialogue between the client and the coach and 
trying to get to know the client better and know, you know, the reason why they're there, kind of really digging deep to figure out, you know, why they're, they're, they showed up to the gym because most people, you know, don't come to the gym just off for no reason. Like everyone knows working out is good for them, but usually something, there's a reason why they are seeking out a coach. So we're really trying to figure that out and figure out their, their goals and not just their superficial goals, but their, you know, their deep goals, the real reasons that they, they want to kind of start training and then we have to kind of figure out what they enjoy or what they've done in the past or what they're comfortable with, because a lot of it is creating an environment that the client is comfortable in because coming to a gym is an intimidating process for a lot of people, especially the first time. And especially, you know, a gym like Revolution, um, where we operate out of in North Haven, um, it's got, you know, top of the line rogue equipment decked out with like 140 foot rig and, you know, deadlift platforms and stuff. And if you've never worked out before, it's an extremely intimidating environment. So when we can <coughs> um, make that as comfortable as possible with them by getting to, to know what they're already comfortable with and what they've done before and kind of making a program that at first is kind of going to help them be successful is going to set them up for some small wins and help them start to kind of fall in love with the process and start to like working out and start to kind of get pulled into the community that we have so that they start to become adherent because if someone's not coming to the gym, it doesn't matter how good their program is. Um, because they're not doing it. So we need to find something that they're doing and that they like doing and then slowly start to introduce the things that they need to be doing to get to their goals so that, that they can you know, continue to make progress because in the long run, progress is what's really going to drive adherence. But in the short term, you know, fun and, and novel stimulus is going to kind of create adherence. And that's our main goal is to, to create an adherent client. I think um, everything that Paul said was great. How when somebody comes to the gym, I remember reading once that like a, a good mindset to be in is just that you should try and be their first friend in the gym because a lot of people are very uncomfortable and nervous. And so I've always tried to adopt that mindset with professional boundaries, but building that trust right off the bat, listening to them, engaging in conversation and not just brushing over things that they're saying are important to them. A lot of times people will tell you in the first meeting little nuggets about why they're there. And if you pay enough attention and pick up on them, you can really ask some thoughtful questions that shows this person that you really do care about them and you want to help them get to where they are, that the gym is more than just a workout, right? They're not coming there just to feel tired and beat up and exhausted and then, you know, pat on the back and send them home but that we can use the tools in the gym to help them reshape either their lifestyle or their habits or whatever it is that's important to them. And so I, that would be my answer on a bigger scale for how we handle somebody who's new. And then if we're talking you know, more than nuts and bolts of programming, when somebody's new, I would say that I, I always just look for the lowest hanging fruit and giving the person some of what they enjoy, some of what they need, and then really trying to 
dig into their mindset towards training and hard things during that first block or that first month where they're training with us to really learn what their outlook is and maybe offer a few tips or tricks or maybe trying to reshape a few thoughts they might have that might be holding them back a little bit. Yeah, and I think you guys definitely do an awesome job of really connecting to your members. I mean, even through this whole quarantine process, you guys, I feel like have gone, you know, I can't speak for other companies and things like that, but, you know, making sure that people are, you know, providing opportunities for people to just socialize, whether that's creating, you know, events, um, like playing, um, you know, cards on Zoom or, you know, having an accountability buddy, you know, to, to lift with so that we can, you know, drive that adherence to their training program, because not that we have to talk about it today on, you know, I may agree with you that, you know, having an individualized training program is the best way to have someone get to their, you know, specific goals. But, you know, you kind of talked about it in the beginning where, you know, if only 18% of Americans are, you know, adhering to the, to the guidelines of the recommended uh, amount of physical activity that, you know, whether it's a group class or, you know, you guys have the semi-private training sessions that people, you could have the best program in the world but it doesn't matter if, if you're not doing it. Um, so, you know, getting people to really enjoy that process is something that I think you guys do greatly because even though I'm fortunate enough to have like equipment, you know, with me during this time is it's definitely not the same as being in that environment of the gym and, um, you know, just having people to talk to. And I think the community that you guys have created is, is something like one of the best things that you provide along from the the training that you provide. Um, I think you guys have really done an awesome job building that community. Um, Maybe what we'll talk about next is something that I think also encouraged me to to start working with with you and Paul um, was really something that I don't really see a lot. And actually, you know, we're seeing more of it maybe now, but when I would go in for an early morning workout and I, I'm personally not someone that enjoys working out in the morning, but I would see, especially a, a crew of women um, at, you know, 530 in the morning, you know doing bench, bench press and squatting and deadlifting heavy. Um, and for me, that was kind of like, Oh man, like that's just not something that you walk in and see a lot. Um, and for me, it was kind of kicking the butt too. And I was like, all right, you need to stop complaining. Cause these ladies are almost done with their workout. Cause they were here at like 5.00 AM on the dot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you guys can speak about maybe, cause I feel like maybe, I don't know the percentage breakdown of maybe of a men versus women, but I think the thing that you guys have done really well is really gotten a lot more women in, interested in, in resistance training. And unfortunately, I don't think that's commonplace. Um, so maybe you guys can speak to that a little bit because, you know, not only are you guys creating, you know, I don't want to say strong women, but just strong people in general. Cause like, they're just not strong for, for women. They're just strong in general. Um, so maybe you guys can speak to that a little bit. And maybe if, I don't know if it was by design that that originally was, you know, maybe more of your clientele base or, you know, maybe you can just speak to that a little, a little bit. Yeah, so you you mean they're they're waiting at the door at four forty five <laughs> to get in, <laughs> but yeah, so we're probably about eighty five percent, maybe a little bit more uh, female. So we do have a very strong female population, and you know, as a coach, I firmly believe that max strength is one of the most, you know important qualities to train in terms of just health and longevity and then just in terms of um, mental health and kind of building self-confidence 
And I found that women are largely underserved in this fitness community. Um, and they are usually the ones that are being preyed on with these kind of always need to be less campaigns that other fitness um, providers kind of launch. And we tend to, um, of that female population, there's a very large concentration in the like 40 plus age range. And I think that group of women were raised in a time where they were never really allowed to show their strength and they were kind of frowned upon if they did. And when they were introduced to strength training and kind of started to, you know, make PRs and progress, they all kind of fell in love with it. And I realized that, you know, this could have a huge impact on on so many people's lives if we're able to kind of show them, you know, all of the amazing things the barbell can do that are, you know, just beyond the physical because coming into the gym, you know, every morning at 5 a.m. and hitting heavy deadlifts and starting your day off doing hard things just makes everything else in your life that much easier because you started your day off, you know, deadlifting 400 pounds. And, you know, when you get into a hard situation at work, you're just like, man, I deadlifted 400 pounds this morning. This is nothing. So it's like, <laughs> it teaches that, that resiliency and, and it teaches that mindset. Um, and then there's also the fact that being strong just makes everything else in life easier. And there's lots of research showing being stronger leads to, you know, drops in all-cause mortality and longer lives of, uh, longer life lived independently. Um, so there's so many physical benefits and mental benefits of being strength, of being very strong and being a powerlifter myself, that's obviously my bias. <laughs> so I've always, I've trained for strength myself and I've always, you know, if someone comes in and they're not really sure what they want to do, I kind of, you know, we'll test the strength waters first and see how they like it. And most of the time, you know, after a few PRs, people fall in love with it. So it's really come the, the cornerstone of our training. And, um, you know, we're really good at making people strong. <laughs> yeah, I think Paul hit on a bunch of really good topics there again. And one of the subject or studies that I like to bring up, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember they looked at lower body mass between men and women and put them on a leg press. And as long as the lower body mass was comparable, the amount that they were leg pressing was comparable in untrained individuals. And so I think in my experience, just with a lot of the women that I've trained over the years, uh, I think they surprise themselves a lot in the beginning with how strong they are and how much weight they can move. Uh, like Paul said, I think there's very frequently predatory business models that will try and convince women that they need to be less and just right off the bat showing them that they are more and they are extremely capable. I, I find that that creates a lot of forward momentum with their, their training plan and enjoyment in the gym. Yeah, for sure. Um, on that point, there's... You know, you see women come in 
often with this idea that they can't lift heavy because uh, you know society has made it out that they're fragile or you know not as strong but when you look at the research like ryan said when you equate for lean body mass men and women are just as strong and women are just as capable and this idea that women need to train differently than men is just you know holding them back and i don't no matter who comes in whether the man a woman they're 16 years old 30 years old, 75 years old, my programming philosophies are the same. I'm going to, you know, assess the individual in front of me and write a program for them, but it's not going to look different because they're a female or different because they're a male or different because they're 70 years old or 16 years old. It's going to be based on where they're currently at. Cause I can tell you right now we have, you know, some 70 year old clients that could kick some, some 18 year old clients butts and they, handle way more volume and intensity than the the 18 year olds <laughs> yeah i think you just hit on another reason why we're mostly females a lot of men are uncomfortable walking in and seeing how strong a lot of the women they are knowing they'd be outlifted for quite a bit of time if they started with us right <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm, have way, some I'm really way behind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got some strong people <laughs> yeah i think uh you know for anyone that you know isn't familiar with them and you could probably go to the resilient training lab uh, instagram page and check it out but you know one of my favorite lifters i always get amped up watching her lift it is probably velvet and she was probably a big reason i actually even reached out to paul because like she just got me fired up every time i saw her lifting <laughs> in there um so it's really some you know met you know you obviously train you know someone like carlos too who's just like a, also a freak but for me like you know that's obviously super impressive, but for me, I think watching velvet do, you know, lift, which, you know, how she lifts and, you know, her intensity that she brings like that to me is almost more impressive because one, you don't really see it as often. And it just breaks so many of those preconceived just notions that people have about, um, you know, women lifting weights and that, you know, maybe that, you know, they can't lift heavy and things like that. So, um, yeah, for anyone that hasn't, um, you know, check that out, you know, definitely, uh, there's probably a video or two of her lifting and, uh, it's, it'll get you amped up if you, if you need to get fired up to lift. So I, I think that really highlights when you have a strong set of principles and you're programming and executing based on the evidence that's currently out there, you're just capable of helping anybody move forward and make progress compared to getting stuck in one methodology or one way of doing things i think that's when you really start to struggle to help everybody that's out there yeah i mean anyone can make a freak like carlos a strong guys like i mean looks at a squat rack and his quads grow <laughs> but <laughs> to be able to kind of work with a variety of people people that have never trained or done sports in their whole life you know they come into the gym on their 50th birthday, you know, I've never done anything athletic in my life, getting them strong. Now, you know, that's, that's another story and being able to have you be up to date on the evidence and have sound training principles and be able to know how to, to kind of manipulate those principles to work with the person in front of you is very important. Yeah. And I kind of, uh, I want to backtrack a little bit because I think you guys have, have brought it up uh, a few times. And for anyone that hasn't caught it listening is Ryan and Paul, 
you can tell that they're both very well read and that, you know, they can, they've, they've referenced these studies that, you know, they've, they've read in the past and how it's impacted their training program. So maybe what you can speak um, to next um, before we transition to another topic um, is again, something that I think sets you guys apart from um, a lot of the other, uh, you know, programs or companies in the field is, is really how up to date you guys stay. So how do you make that a priority and, and how do you guys implement that into, to what you guys do? So uh, continuing education is super important to us. Uh, it's kind of, it's in one of our core values is to always be learning. And in a field that is so young and is so quickly developing, you have to be on top of the research or you'll be kind of quickly be left in the dust. There's, you know, things that I was doing when I first started that as I started to read the research, started to realize I was, wasn't using it correctly or it wasn't as effective as I thought it was going to be. And I had to change to be able to serve my client as, um, as good as possible. And we really highlight that at Resilient. Every coach has a stipend for continuing education every year. Um, we try to meet weekly um, about continuing education topics. So instead of, you know, just, you know, a weekly business meeting, we have a weekly business meeting and a weekly continuing education meeting. And we are also kind of try to stay on top of the research um, with a little bit of help from, you know, other people that, that are smarter than we are. Uh, <laughs> so there's some groups like Barbell Medicine and Mass with Greg Knuckles and Eric Zordos that do research reviews every month and they highlight the current re relevant research um, and they highlight it and summarize it and then send it over so we can kind of get a quick recap of everything and dig into the topics that we think are uh, relevant to what we're doing. Yeah, I think it's also important to be aware of what's going on in your field. So there are always these leaders that are breaking down new information and presenting it to us. And then there are people who are spending more of their time interacting with clients like myself and Paul. And so I think just having access to the information that a lot of these very intelligent people are putting out there and breaking down into understandable terms and creating ways for you to implement it really does the industry as a whole a lot and helps all coaches. And so I think having this mindset of you need to do everything yourself, you need to find all of this research and break it down. We just, we don't have the time to be doing that 24 seven. And so um, I really do value those resources that he mentioned a lot, as well as the lack of, I guess, attachment to any one way of doing things like I had brought up earlier. And so staying up to date on the research allows us, like, we're willing to pivot. I don't think myself or Paul would be hard stuck on doing one thing a certain way if, you know, a, a more efficient way came out or if something was, uh, again, research doesn't prove things. It really just proves what doesn't work. Um, if, if something that we were doing was shown to probably not be that effective, we would be totally willing to, to swallow our pride and leave it behind. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is to not get too caught up on any one uh, method or modality or training methodology or training paradigm is to kind of familiarize yourself with everything. So 
one, you can, you know, uh, relate to any client that's part of any sort of training camp and two, so you can pull what is useful from each of them and kind of create your own training philosophy. And then the other big thing that, you know, Ryan mentioned was using the resources around you. And that's it, not just on the internet, but it's surrounding yourself with, with people with similar uh, goals and um, similar aspirations to kind of push the strength and conditioning and rehab world forward. And that's one of our, you know, other big goals is at Resilient is to, to gather up, you know, all the, the, you know, you know, forward thinking minds in the field and, and really try and push the envelope and make a difference in the industry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, again, very evident that you guys really take the time to do that. You know, I don't know how many other companies, you know, I'm sure they have their weekly business meetings, but I don't know how many people sit down and actually discuss, you know, the month's, you know, research review from, you know, barbell medicine or, or mass, like you were saying. Um, so I think that that it's huge that you guys do that. And, you know, maybe what we'll kind of use that to transition to is kind of constantly updating your processes and not being stuck with one thing and reevaluating, you know, what works or what doesn't work um, is an area in the, you know, fitness field or re in rehab field um, that a lot of people talk about all the time is, you know, how, what's the best warm up or how, how should I warm up um, for my, for my workout? So maybe what you guys can talk about, one of you can touch on maybe what, you know, what's the purpose of a warm up just overall? And then, you know, how do you guys go about creating a warm up for, for your members? Um, because I think a lot of, you know, if we go back to tying that to earlier where 18% of the people are meeting physical activity guidelines, a typical barrier that you'll see with, you know, why they're not meeting those guidelines is, is time is usually um, something that they cite a lot. So maybe uh, tying that into maybe people are, are doing more than they have to be be doing and that they could be better spending that time doing their actual training. Um, so maybe we can start to talk about that now. Yeah. So in short, the purpose of your warm up is to get you ready for the training you're about to do. Um, like you mentioned, time is a big, big barrier for many people. And we want to spend as much time doing activities that are actually going to push adaptation. And a warm up isn't that. A warm up is just exactly what it says it's to warm you up for for the actual training and the more efficient you can make that process and the shorter you can make that process and the more simple you can make that process the better because another barrier to fitness is over complication and not you know people not knowing what to do and all too often people come in and they're like you know, I was going to work out today, but, you know, I'm not feeling great and I wasn't sure how to warm up. And, you know, I did this stretch and this stretch, but I feel like I should do something else and I'm not exactly sure what to do. So people have get confused about warm ups, and really it doesn't need to be that confusing. Um, I think people, especially strength coaches, like to get into lots of like conceptual stuff and like to really get into the nitty gritty of like anatomy and the biomechanics of the human body and like really nerd out, which is awesome. But then when you try to push that onto a client that's never been to the, into the gym, like ever before in their life, it just becomes overwhelming and, you know, turns them off from the whole process. So being able to create a warm up that is simple and gets you ready for the workout you're going to do is, is important. So our end goal with 
every member is for them to just be able to go into their first exercise with a lightweight and slowly progress up to their working weight without having to do any other, you know, type of movement drills. If we uh, see a client struggling with a particular position in whatever we're going to do, so say our first exercise is back squat and they're just struggling to get under the bar or something, we might choose some mobility drills that mimic the position they're struggling with that are very position specific. But our goal is to progress them to the point where they don't need them anymore. So if you're ever like doing a warm up for months on months on months, and it's the same warm up, same reps, same uh, exercises, you know, it's probably not that effective because you should be choosing things that are getting you better at the activities that you want to get better at. And whether that be the squat bench or deadlift or, you know, rowing or biking or whatever activity you're doing that day. I feel like I'm about to word vomit because this is one of my favorite topics and I get fired up. And so I'm going to try and <laughs> slow myself down here. But I think with warming up, uh, if one, we just look at the practical side of things, most clients that come in and start training with us, you know, how long do they tell you that they want to be in the gym? Uh, most people will say an hour. So from the time you walk in until the time you hit your first working set in whatever your first exercise is that day, if it takes 20 to 30 minutes, you're wasting almost half your time in the gym. A, a third to one half of your time is going to be spent just getting ready to do something. And I think Paul has made a post on Instagram about this. It took him like, you know, less than 10 minutes to get up to a 545 squat. So, you know, really what you can be efficient and strong at the same time. So I think that that's one thing I consider when I'm looking at a warm up that I'm creating for a client is just getting them prepared as fast as possible. And if it's taking a really long time to get somebody prepared to do their training, they might be starting at something that's just too advanced for them at that moment. If I'm programming an overhead squat for somebody and it takes four different drills and two different exercises before this person is going to do a somewhat decently loaded overhead squat, maybe that's not where they should be. Maybe we need to scale back a little bit, break it up into more than one movement, that way this person can get more out of the same amount of time in the gym. Yeah, I think that's, that's huge. And I definitely, this is an area that I tend to get fired up a little bit about too. So, um, but I think you guys um, spoke to it, you know, very, you know, simply when I think Paul also said something about like, you know, not only is time a barrier, but overcomplicating things is a barrier. And I think a lot of times people, want to justify, you know, why they're getting paid and they want to make themselves seem important. So they kind of use these anatomical terms and have them doing these complicated, um, you know, mobility exercises because it, it's, it, it looks fancy. Um, so it, it makes them seem like, you know, that they're worth that whatever amount of money they're getting paid per session or per month. Um, like you're saying for some people, you know, that are very, you know, maybe unfamiliar with just exercise in general, uh, you know, they're just going to do whatever that person says, because, you know, to that person, they're that they're the expert. Um, but, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, that complicated, um, you know, especially, and I think Ryan spoke to something that's also important, but, you know, exercise selection is also something that's, you know, very important too. And that, you know, if you're having to really do five drills in order to 
be able to do a, a decent overhead squat, then maybe we shouldn't be starting with an overhead squat. Maybe we should load up some other, you know, squat pattern first so that we can, again, like you said, drive adaptations. Um, but you know, how long, how long did it take you guys to transition, um, from, from to, you know, where maybe what you were doing in the past to, to where you are now, like, you know, Paul, um, you know, you said he, he was able to work his way up to like a 500 pound back squat in you know, 10 minutes or so. And for me, you know, I know a lot of my warmups now are, you know, just moving the empty bar with some tempo squats and eccentric squats and pause squats. Um, and then starting to load up to whatever my first working set is going to be. But I know in the past that it definitely wasn't like that. And I was foam rolling every body part for, you know, uh, you know, two minutes at a time. Um, and then by the time I got down to my ankles, you know, the short-term changes to that foam rolling were already gone from the, the T-spine that I did. Um, so maybe you guys can speak about how your own practices have changed over the years in terms of warming up. You brought up a bunch of things there. And I think one of the big things I wanted to touch on before we moved on was, uh, that strength coaches wanting to earn their money. And I think a lot of it comes back to that predatory mindset again is, is trying to like pick apart the client in front of them and tell them all the things that are wrong for them. And then, you know, wanting to be their solution and be, Hey, you need to do this drill and this drill and this drill because X, Y, and Z is wrong. And we're really against that mindset and telling people everything that's wrong with them and, you know, instead trying to pick the things that they're capable of and that reflects in our warm-up. We're not doing all these crazy drills to fix all these problems that, you know, may or may not make a difference when there's so many low-hanging fruits uh, that need to be addressed, you know, when we're not worrying about all these minute atomical and biomechanical and neurological things when you know the person only is taking 2,000 steps a day and hasn't worked out in 20 years <laughs> so um you know that kind of shows in our warm-up with the the simplicity of it and and our our goal again like you said is to get people just going right to the barbell and it wasn't always like that like when you know, I've taken a lot of different courses and, you know, whenever you take a course, you're like get all giddy and like want to apply everything from the course with all your clients and like start to overload your clients with every course. And I think every strength coach has been there and uh, being able to go to more and more courses and realize, you know, that they all pretty much have the same basic ideas behind them, whether they present them differently Um you know, like I took FRC and everyone was doing cars and pails rails before every workout. I took PRI and everyone was breathing and, you know, exhaling before every workout. And, you know, I realized that most of it for most people was pretty much a waste of time and that you could get a lot more done and a lot less time and be a lot more efficient just, you know, doing the movement that needs to be done. You know, someone is back squatting, they're going to back squat in their warm-up. If they're deadlifting, their warm-up's going to be deadlift. If they're benching, their warm-up's going to be bench because, you know, that is the most specific, you know, air quotes, mobility drill that you can do is if you need to warm up for doing back squats, like there's literally nothing better than doing a back squat. You're using all the same muscles, you're using the same range of motion. Like you don't need to activate your glutes or, you know, drive your ribs down because you should be doing that in your back squat and in a position that 
you're going to be loading. Yeah, to add on top of that, I've certainly been guilty of over-prescribing warm-ups to my clients. And the approach that I took when I really started to swing the other way with my warm-ups was just having a conversation with them and telling them like, hey, you know, we've been doing it this way, but I think the research really supports trying something new. So let's go with this, see what happens. I think you'll feel really good. And just explaining to them where you're coming from, in my experience, has gone a long way. And again, creating that trust in your relationship, but also showing that you're growing professionally as well. I think that they really value that. Well, I think, you know, too, a lot of when I was doing longer warmups, I had a lot of different like assessments and kind of stuff that I'd be basing these warmups off of. And then, you know, I started kind of reading about more specific warmups and I gave it a try one time and it's like, you do five sets of five squats on an empty bar with a tempo and all of a sudden all those assessments that you were failing before, you, you start to pass. Like, you know, you don't need a specific drill. You just need to, to get moving and all of a sudden you move better. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, you know, having those, those tempo squats and especially even if we're just talking about a warm up on a general level of elevating your core body temperature, you know, after I'm doing, I do my first set of tempo back squats, I'm shedding layers already because I'm already sweating. Um, but, you know, I think what you guys spoke about a lot of really, you know, good things. Um, let's say, someone has this, you know, really long warm up piece, you know, how do they go about cutting that down? Let's say it's someone that maybe either you guys are working with that's just transitioning over to you guys, um, or just people in general, you know, how do people go about um, cutting down some of the, you know, maybe something that we'll call fluff and, and getting to what they really need to be doing. But, you know, it, it's a balance because you don't want to just say, you know, be kind of rude and be like, you know, you've been wasting your, your time for, for however X many number of years, um, you know, how do you slowly start to phase that into maybe more of what's, you know, more efficient for them or, you know, how do you go about attacking that? What I like to look at is I'll just stick with the squat as an example is if somebody comes in cold and goes to perform their barbell back squat and we start to see inefficient technique happening, that's what I would, prioritized in the warm-up. So if somebody is really struggling to keep their elbows underneath the bar and really struggling with their sort of the upper body aspect of their squat, I would probably give them some sort of wall slide or whatever drill uh, that person could do to emphasize that position so that when they go back to their next set of back squat, it's a little bit better and a little bit better as they're adding weight. And so I think just looking at where their technique is breaking down in the first thing that they're going to do tells you where a large portion of your effort should go. If somebody's not struggling at all with the amount of hip flexion required for a deep squat, then why are we going to do a banded hip flexion warm-up? Right? It's not something that I think would warrant the attention in that scenario. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to like education and talking to the client and figuring out, you know, the why of you know, what part of their warmups they're attached to and what part of the warmups they feel are effective and why they do the certain things. I think if you ask enough questions, you can either kind of 
get the person to realize that what they're doing isn't that effective, or you can start to figure out the things that that person really cares about and kind of incorporate them into the warmups and start to show them that they can warm up without, you know, all those other things first, and then start to slowly take away the things, you know, that they used to find important and start to show them that, you know, the warmup is just as effective, if not more effective, um, if they scrape away all the fluff, because I mean, it's a whole nother conversation, but I think that a lot of that fluff creates a mindset of being fragile and that, you know, that you're not, you know, prepared to lift these heavy weights and kind of create more problems than they fix. One other aspect of warming up that I don't think we brought up yet is the frequency of doing the movement too, right? So if you only ride a bike once a week, you're probably not going to be that great of a bike rider. And I would argue the same is true for squatting or whatever exercise you're doing. And so the more frequently we can get people into positions, the better that they do in them, right? So um, I think that's a big part of cutting down your warm-up too, is looking at your overall training plan, right? It's not just specifically your warm-up, but what you're doing throughout the entire week that makes these positions more accessible and more tolerable for a certain individual. So, I mean, it comes down to, right, the said principle and the law of specificity and that we're going to get better at the things we do. And being able to make your warm-up like practice for the skills you want to get better at is just going to add to that because, you know, lifting is, is a skill and learning the skills and getting better at the skills is going to make you better at it. So whether that be whatever back squats, deadlifts or snatches or cleans, they're technical lifts that require repetition and practice. And by doing the actual movement, you're going to get better at it. And like Ryan said, it's, you know, very position specific. We can do all these warm up drills, but if they're not kind of mimicking the positions we're going to train, they're not going to have the carryover that we want them to have. And, you know, by getting people to realize that they're maybe not making the progress they want to with their, with their warmups and showing them how to kind of progress their warmups the same way they progress their training. Cause you know, people understand they need to progress their training, but they don't understand they need to progress their warmups. So when you kind of make that connection, that helps a lot too. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually a really important point that you just put up there. It's, you know, it shouldn't be, any different that, you know, if I'm doing the same exact warm-up that I was doing five years ago, then that there's something that is, is a problem there. And I could probably reevaluate something that I'm doing there. Um, but, you know, two of the other things I think you guys brought up, um, you know, Ryan had talked about, you know, if he's watching someone do a movement and he's seeing that maybe there's something that he can incorporate like a wall slide, as he said that, you know, I think that's a way that, you know, maybe, instead of doing someone having someone do wall slides, you know, ahead of any of their barbell lifting, it's just something they can do in between of in between sets. Um, so that's a way of kind of cutting down some of that time. Um, and I think it comes down to, you know, what we've talked about in general too, is having that conversation with a person, um, and, you know, discussing, you know, how important is the stuff that you do as a warm up to you, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Cause there's probably some people who you're saying, Hey, you know, this 45 minute routine that you're doing before you touch a barbell, you probably don't even need to do three quarters of that. If, if any of it at all. And to some people, they're probably like, Oh, that's amazing. Like I don't have, I have all that time. But then on the other side, you probably have some people that if you take that away and tell them that they don't need that that's in the back of their head the entire time that they're doing that new warm-up that you're having doing they're like oh i didn't do my you know my 
ankle dorsiflexion mobilization before squatting. So that's kind of something that's stuck in the back of their head. So I think it comes down to, again, you know, each individual person and kind of figuring out, you know, how you're going to go about attacking, you know, even just their, their warm up and prescribing that to them. Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of times warmups become almost like ritualistic, like it's just something people do when they get to the gym and it like puts them in the mind frame to train. And if that's your case, like, cool, like more power to you, but let's see if we can kind of change that ritual a little bit and morph it to be a little bit more effective. And like you were saying, Ryan made that great point of, you know, start, with your squat or start with whatever movement you're going to start with and assess how you feel during that and use that as a, as to see what warm up, you know, exercises you should be doing or warm up drills you should be doing or will be more effect, most effective because, you know, there's going to be days you come in and the bar is hard to get into your low bar position. There's going to be days you come in and it's hard to hit depth and like your warm up might change based on that. So starting to get that idea that, you know, we want to make our warm ups based on, on need instead of ritual is, is, is important too. Yeah. I think, yeah, very ritualistic in nature for sure. You know, it's just a kind of a, a part of what they do. And the more, the longer that you've been doing that, the more it becomes a part of, kind of you know, your whole process. Um, so I think, again, you have to take that into each, you know, individual themselves and kind of see how important that is to them. Um, but, you know, I know that, you know, we've been talking for, for close to an hour now and we had some other things that I wanted to talk about, but I think we just went with the warmups and I think that there was a lot of gold in there. Um, so, you know, it'll definitely be, you know, something that I want to have, you know, you guys back on again at, at a future date. And, you know, I'm sure there's a whole mess of things that we touched on that we could spend a whole episode on. Um, but, you know, that's why, you know, again, I, I enjoy talking to you guys and, you know, why I trust you guys with my training because we, you know, have these conversations, you know, either here on like a podcast or we, sometimes we have these conversations just at the gym and we can pick each other's brains about things. And it's, you know, been great getting to learn from, from you guys, just as, you know, I learn more about, um, you know, just my own training and things like that. Um, so for, you know, what we can do for the, for the listeners again, um, you know, I know you guys introduced yourselves earlier, but maybe just letting them know how they can contact you guys, whether that's just resilient training lab as a whole or individually, you know, where they can find you on social media. Um, I know you guys have your own podcast. So if you guys want to plug that as well, um, definitely let everyone know where they can find you guys and reach you guys at. Yeah. Got to be careful and us go down rabbit holes because we'll just keep going. <laughs> no, that's um, great. Hey, I, I love going down those rabbit holes. So that's <laughs> no, but uh, thank you again for having us. Yeah. It's been great. Um, it really does say a lot. One that you're open to trusting us with your programming, but two, thank you for having the respect and also teaching us a lot of things. It's really great to have conversations with people who are in other corners of the same field. Um, so again, I, I really do find that valuable. Um, and if somebody's looking to get in contact with me on social media, Instagram is going to be your best bet. Uh, just Ryan underscore resilient. And then my email address is Ryan at resilient training lab.com. Yeah. It was awesome to be on. Uh, thanks for having us. And yeah, it comes down to surrounding yourself with, you know, people trying to advance the field and you're one of those people. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, you can find me at Paul underscore resilient or email Paul at resilient training lab.com uh, resilient 
training lab stuff is all everything's at resilient training lab so instagram facebook our podcast is the resilient resilient training lab podcast uh we have our website www.resilienttraininglab.com where we have a blog we post twice a week on and uh pretty active on social media especially right now with everything being shut down <laughs> yeah and definitely uh definitely recommend um if you want to hear more about Ryan and, and Paul talking about, um, you know, their histories and just some of the guests that they've interviewed on their podcast, definitely go check that out. Cause they've had some really good episodes, um, so far. And I know they have, you know, some more episodes that they'll, they'll be rolling out soon. Um, but you know, I, Definitely want to thank you guys again for coming on today. I had a lot of fun talking with you guys. It went a lot of different areas that I originally didn't even want, you know, plan it to, but you know, that was great. Um, because you know, there's a whole lot of things in there that we can talk about for days. Um, but for all the listeners, I want to just thank you guys all again for listening to today's episode of Mike Check. Um, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening with so that you can keep up with all the content that I'll be putting out, but nothing else. Still next time guys.